As the saying goes, when someone loses their way, it is almost always because they have lost the story. When they regain their story, they will regain their way. Now, my question to you is, have you ever wondered how you can actually move people and mountains with the power of stories? Well, if you have, then this episode is for you. Today, we have invited an inspiring speaker. His name is none other than Kurian Tarakan. Kurian Tarakan is the founder of Strategy Peak Sales and Marketing Advisors, a strategic marketing consultancy which has worked with hundreds of companies on the strategy to enter and scale in new markets. A guest lecturer and keynote speaker, Mr. Tarakan also brings over 30 years of experience to the classroom stage and as an author on the influence of culture and social psychology to drive organizational performance. Well, without further ado, let's welcome Kurian into the house. Woohoo! Rayson, hey. thanks for having me on. Hey, you're most welcome, man. It's really an honor and pleasure to have you here. How how have you been, man? It's been good. It's uh, you know, it's uh, we're in the May. I'm I'm up here in Canada. So it's still a little cool here in Canada. It's not quite the May weather we're used to, but uh, you're in sunny Singapore. You know, yep. I was just looking it up today, just a couple of degrees north of the equator, right? So you've got lots of sun there all year round. Good for yes. you. Yep, yep, yep. We have, we have, we have a lot of uh, uh, days where it's always shiny and bright and, you know, it's not so cool as canada or as as cold as as uh the states and all it's it's really really you know something that we wish that singapore would have that very cold weather where we can chill and relax and you want that (laughs) i'll trade you a little bit yeah sure we can trade uh once covid 19 is officially ended or probably traveling is really official for all of us to be able to travel for us it will be great <laughs> to actually go go to Canada uh, and and check things out. Which part of Canada are you based in? So we're uh, in the western part of Canada, so along the oh. Rocky Mountains. So on, okay. uh, if you go uh, west past the Rocky Mountains, you're into British Columbia, but east side is Alberta. So if you ever follow hockey, I don't know if you mm-hmm. follow hockey in Singapore, we're the hockey town of Wayne Gretzky, and uh, that's okay. where Grain Wayne spent, played uh, most of his uh, career. A good chunk of his career was right here at Edmonton, but we're also known for the oil sands. We're you know uh, you know major major oil deposits uh, north of uh, of the city here. So lots of different different things. Oh wow, nice nice nice. That's something that uh, you know I would love to actually go and do a research about because I've not I'm not a huge fan of hockey. Uh, I've not watched yeah uh, so much on hockey, but yeah, I do know that when they are really really aggressive, they can fight and all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> especially in yeah. hockey. Yeah. So so yeah, it's uh it's really great you know to have you here and uh, shall we get the whole podcast interview started? Sure. Let's do that. All right. Okay. So you know um I'm I'm pretty sure my audience have not heard about you so do you mind if you share with the audience a little bit more about who you are what you do and who you serve sure uh so my name is Kieran Therican I'm a sales and marketing strategy consultant here in Edmonton Alberta Canada and uh what I do is that uh, I help uh 
primarily startup companies or startups within established companies get their products into the marketplace, get that initial traction, scale in the marketplace. And so we're working with a lot of us in the last few years, a lot of startups out of the University of Alberta here, uh, lots of scientists, engineers, uh, subject matter experts of various kinds and chemistry and you know, the sciences as a whole. And uh, what I found with all of these uh, individuals is that they are absolute experts in the science and the technology, but now they face the very daunting task of getting their products out there and having people pay attention to them, let alone buy it. And most people didn't go and get their PhDs to be salespeople, but they find themselves in that very awkward position and it is a critical vital position if they're gonna grow their business. So I had to find a way for them to uh, master at least the initial parts of that traction for the sales and marketing efforts in a more simple way than going to a traditional sales course, you know, and trying to master that because they, it's not something they thought they'd be doing, right? And so a couple of years ago, I started writing a book called The Seven Essential Stories, uh, Charismatic Leaders Tell. And it was uh, based on a framework that I was giving our clients uh, to establish their stories, both internally for their people, but also externally for their marketplaces. And it's a very dead simple framework, Grayson. Uh, if, uh, if you are able to understand these seven stories, uh, you are understanding the primal questions in your mm -hmm. customers and your people's brains. And when you answer them, their entire attitude, motives, their brains light up and they will pay attention because it's relevant to them. Wow, nice. I mean, like uh, this is this is the reason why our topic for today is in fact this thing where we actually talk about the seven essential stories people want to hear from their leaders, which we are going to talk a lot about it later on. And man, that, that is really nice, you know, to actually be able to help startups and to to help them to not just market them themselves to brand themselves but also at the same time to actually pitch the, to the yes. clients so that they will be accepted by these giants probably fortune 500 companies and all the other stuff and you know as a brand new startup or even as a as a consultant or as a coach and all they all will need all this help from you guys to actually pitch to people and to help them with their elevators pitch as well so that yeah. they can actually land themselves all these opportunities exactly right yeah so uh, i would like to actually ask you right you know now you are actually doing this you're you're actually a author you're a speaker you're a strategies especially for the startups right um how did you get to where you are today was this something that you've always wanted to do? I got here right today <laughs> by accident. <laughs> oh. By accident. Now, okay. what, what's funny, Rayson, is that when I was in university, and that was a long time ago, mm -hmm. and when I was in university, you know, I, I actually thought I would love to be a strategy consultant. I'd love to be a marketing consultant. I like the word consultant because maybe that meant people paid attention to you, took your advice, implemented it, and then you would be credited for their success. Again, that's my 22-year-old brain thinking that way, right? But from mm -hmm. that perspective, uh, what ended up happening 
was that uh, my, you know, like most people exiting university, you have lots of zigs and zags as you go along, right? And so I spent, yep. uh, I spent uh, seven and a half years uh, in the commercial real estate field, uh, doing leasing for retail uh, centers, uh, office complexes, that kind of thing. That's where I learned to sell. I spent uh, another seven years uh, or so in the marketing profession, uh, thinking I knew what I was doing, but not really, but learning it as we went along. I thought sales was marketing at that time. It's not. I know that now. I didn't know that then. A lot, and a lot of my clients don't know the difference either between sales and marketing. Completely different professions. I spent uh, eight years, uh, and you're quickly adding up what my age is here now. I spent eight years of my life uh, in the mergers and acquisitions business buying companies, raising capital, selling companies. And uh, that was probably one of the most profound marketing experiences I've ever had because I've literally been in hundreds of companies' boardrooms and I can see what they're doing, what's working, what's not working, and how it shows up on a, on a balance sheet, and how it shows up on an income statement. And you know, at that point in time, all your efforts either prove themselves to be true or they prove themselves to be your demise, right? Yep. So we did all those kind of things. And then eventually I ended up uh, running a sales and marketing team at a uh, enterprise class software company. Uh, our biggest clients were people like Microsoft and Citigroup. But we also had all sorts of, uh, you know, very small 20 uh, bed hospitals and things like that. Uh, but okay. ultimately, all these things, you know, got me to where I am today because I, I very much find myself in a position where I'm using all those experiences to help my clients out right now. Uh, because they are all very much related to starting in the market, gaining traction in the market, and then growing in that marketplace. Okay. Wow. That's a long, that's a long way. So I eventually became a consultant, but, I, but it was such a zigzag plan, plan and path, you know, to get here. I, <laughs> it's, it's very odd how life works sometimes. You know, it's never a straight line. I, I tell that to a, a lot of the university grads. No, don't expect a straight line. It's always a zigzag and you never end up, know what you're going to end up doing. Yeah, but I, I totally agree with you, especially like, uh, you know, so many successful entrepreneurs, they all started with not knowing what to do i mean like uh like for you steve jobs and so many other people they thought you know they would have done something differently but in the end they are doing something that they are passionately yeah. in love with right like especially when you found out that hey this is earning more earning me more money this is earning me getting me more traction this is giving more value to more people around the community man that is where you actually realize that hey this is something that I'm in love doing. I love to see the smiles on my customers' face. I love to see, you know, the results that they're getting and all this other stuff. And I, I'm pretty sure, you know, the success that you have right now didn't come easy, right? Uh, it never does, does it? You know, and so yeah. that uh, that passion or that at least that enjoyment of what you're doing uh, is very much responsible for the outcome because. Mm there's a lot of you know wondering whether you're on the right track or whether it's going to work or whether you have the money to see it through all that kind of thing i've i'm an i'm an angel investor here in uh in uh the province as well and i've got my hands in a couple of different companies right and that it's that elusive search for product market fit you know that elusive search for product market fit and that could go on a long time uh, or or you may never find it but when you find it then everything comes together 
you know, yeah. uh, but uh, in a lot of ways, I don't think I would have the background to coach my clients properly, let alone my investees, uh, without having done all of these little things along the way, because they all come in handy. All okay. those experiences. Nice. Yeah, I definitely, definitely, that that's really handy for you to, you know, influence and, and to guide your investees and even your mentees or your clients as well so how long have was was that process of you uh, going towards achieving this like was it like more than 10 years or so for you to realize yeah. that, hey i want to do this and then after that you got into this profession this career that you have right now so all these varied experiences you know uh, you know i'm not as young as i look racing you know that's the problem <laughs> I, I you know when i was in the mergers and acquisitions business you know i was in my mid-40s but i looked like i was in my early 30s and then i'm convincing Whoa. 55 year old 65 year old men and women to sell their businesses <laughs> they look at this very young face and it was a lot younger than what it looks now uh you know to, would you trust this guy? You know, this very young-looking man uh, to to sell the company for you. But uh, I graduated university. Don't tell anybody. Thirty-five years ago, and so you know, it's <laughs> thirty-five years ago. And uh, so you can you can do the math. Yeah. And so I'm in my mid-fifties right now. And uh, this. Whoa. Yeah, it's taken a while to to actually gain enough experience and experiences, both good and bad. And you learn as much, if not more, from the bad experiences, right? Losing yeah. money teaches you lessons you'll never forget. Winning money, gaining money, you know, unless it's built on previous lessons, it's tough to repeat it. You yeah. know, it's, you know, you need you need the variety of these kinds of experiences. Uh, mm -hmm. But ultimately, what I find with uh, all of these uh, different uh, decades that I've gone through and all the companies I've been with, you know, the ultimate thing, and I say this in the book, is that culture is the operating system. So we're always looking mm -hmm. for the culture of the organization to carry through, uh, even when there's no one there to watch your behavior, guide your behavior, reward your behavior, or punish your behavior. So it's the always yeah. on operating system that guides behavior even when no one is around to watch. And so that mm -hmm. culture is something that I would never have guessed was so important at the age of 22 when I graduated from university. You know, mm -hmm. I, I thought it was all marketing strategy and sales strategy and, and you know, that kind of stuff. But, you know, no, you, the, the fundamental foundation of every organization is that culture. You have to deliberately engineer. The book itself, yeah. the front portion of the book is all about culture. And then the second part of the book is all about the seven stories you fuse, infuse into that culture to make it come alive. Oh, nice. Well, that, that is something that we are going to talk a little bit more uh, on this later on as well, because uh, I know that the questions that I've sent to you they didn't have so much about the culture aspects, but we are going to touch base on that sure. later on as well. And, you know, just now you said, you know, losing money and all can be really good uh, learning opportunities and experience for you so what challenges have you had to overcome along the way while building your career as such you know invest angel investor and a consultant that you are right now sure you know i, I think the primary challenge uh for anybody and everybody is uh challenges of self-doubt i think those are the primary challenges so they're internal 
they're internal. And, you know, there are still times where I think we're all challenged with this idea of a fraud uh, mentality, you know, the, an impersonator type of mentality. Do I really know what I'm talking about? And I've, uh, you know, just recently, uh, and like I said, I've been doing this a long time and I've had my fair degree of fair share of successes and my fair share of failures. So I think I know what I'm doing now. But I recently, uh, and I, I still learn from other people. You know, that's the one thing that I'm always trying to do uh, to, and it's not the big things anymore. It's the nuances. It's the small things, the little tweaks, and you know, that those little magic instances of you do it slightly different and you get a whole different result. Uh, we recently engaged a, a, another consultant on a hyper-specialized sales process and you know this idea of wow okay this guy and we adopted his sales process for the sale of uh of high ticket online um uh, online coaching and uh, and university uh, courses right online courses mm -hmm. wow just absolutely amazing methodical scientific process and it just absolutely lit our uh sales process internally uh through the roof absolutely lit it up now I know everything that he's doing there, absolutely everything. I recognize it. But his process, his structure, his methodolo metho methodology, you know, that's what made it come alive. And so even though I recognize it, the nuance is put it into a system. Now put it into a system. And this system, uh, it is so refined and so granular that that's why it works. And we're seeing the results from it right now. So, so what, I'm, what I'm saying is you asked me what the challenges were. Uh, the challenges were, I think, primarily my life is uh, about self-doubt, uh, you know, especially at the beginning. But I'm also, you know, very cognizant now, you know, maybe self-doubt's a good thing because mm -hmm. you're not going to be arrogant enough to think that you know it all. And you are yeah. always going to be searching for other people, how they do it. And, you know, maybe you'll try. So we always have a budget in our companies for tests and for experiments and just to try it just to try it hmm okay well nice and who who is this uh this person that you actually uh look up to i mean like uh, the one that you were sharing <laughs> that's a secret weapon that's a secret weapon. <laughs> okay okay, <laughs> that's a secret okay. Weapon, right but what i'm right. getting at you know i think the reason the the primary thing that uh you want to take away from that is that mm -hmm. it's one thing to read a book it's another thing to take that book's nuances and systems and actually implement that in your organization. And what we've done is that we've absolutely implemented many people's methodology in the in, in it. And that and then we it's like an engine. It's like a car engine or you know, of any kind. And you're looking at all the different components and how they work together. Then you can tweak it. But you have to assemble the entire engine first then you do the little nuances of tweaks and things like that and th that's yeah. been the big revelation um you know in the in the last 10 years for sure yeah in my consulting practice and things like that is install the install the system first then do the tweaking hmm. okay i see well nice 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 uh, i i'm truly uh, you know uh, stoked to 
know who is that person later on. During our private chat. During our private chat. Yeah, we'll chat. do a private <laughs> chat after. I'll, I'll give you his name, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. he's not he's not uh, he's not inexpensive. But there's many people like him as well, right? It's about finding yeah. a system for you, though. That's what it's got to do. Okay. Good. Okay. Nice. 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 Good. 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 So, uh, you know, as as we all know, like you know, um, none of us can actually achieve success without some help along the way, right? So, sure. was there a particular person who you feel actually gave you the most help or encouragement to be who you are today? Well, I think you you know, if I take a look back on that forty five years now, you know, prior, right? Uh, there have been more than one teacher in high school and even junior high, elementary that, you know, saw something in me. And you're going to find that there are those kind of people for you as well. Everybody has them and they recognize something in you that makes that that they find stands out. Uh, and here's a real silly one. Right. Uh, in grade six, someone told me I was a great salesperson. <laughs> grade six. Right. But in grade three, I was told I was a great storyteller. You know, so my teacher told me I was a great storyteller. In grade six, uh, I was told I was a great salesperson. You know, I'm 11, I'm eight, and I'm 11. Uh, I had more than one teacher uh, that uh, that be had belief in me, right? And it wasn't anything specific. It's just that, you know, they, they were amused and they were intrigued by how I operated and they encouraged that. Then if you go after university and such, uh, you know, more than one individual as well. And one of my one of my superpowers, would you like to hear what it is? Yeah, I was very it. young. <laughs> so I had I had more <laughs> than one older fellow take a take a very paternal interest in me, you know, and they treated me, you know, very, very sunlike. And made sure that you know I was given opportunities and I was given learning and uh, and they took care of me in those early years. And what I always said to uh, the organizations I was with is, you know, this is like a lion pride. This is like a lion pride. And one of the key things a lion pride does is it teaches its cubs how to hunt. Okay, you just don't throw the cubs out there and let them, you know, bring down a wildebeest. They're going to be killed in the process. Right? And so, you know, and I think uh, one organization specifically, I was in the commercial real estate business for a number of years. I think they took that to heart uh, because they understood that if these young people were going to stick around, they needed those hunting skills taught to them. They, they don't, it's one thing to absorb it. It's another thing to be brought into the field with that older lion. Right. And then learn, learn through the actual witnessing of how it's done. And, and I had one fellow, you know, say to me, sit there and listen. And he would let me listen to his calls. Right. And I and it was just a learning experience by itself, just being in his presence because he was a master, master salesperson. Hmm. OK, so do you have to pay this salesperson in order to sit there and listen to his calls? No, I, I worked for him. <laughs> I was his assistant. Uh, right? I was his okay. assistant. But, but that was the way to bring people into that organization. Uh, and you know, what I find, you know, like uh, with this, uh, with the process that I'm going through, he said very few people take the time to train their people up. And so they bring yeah. them on into the company and they say, go at it, go to it. And there's no way, there's no actual process or budget to keep whatever the skill set is sharp, the knowledge bank sharp. And if you if it's like most organizations, the knowledge keeps advancing. So how do you stay on top of it? 
How do you yeah. stay on top of those kind of things? And so that has to be a primary part of your organization. And I think a lot of people would salute that. You know, mm -hmm. so they'd salute that idea, but they don't actually do that idea. They don't actually create a budget for their people to learn. They don't actually make it a process. So in, in one of my companies, I've got a company called um, Socialite Communications, and it's a digital marketing agency, Shopify platform. That If you're on Shopify, we're your digital agency. And what we say, we actually have a budget for all of our people to go and take training every year. There's only one caveat. They go learn, but then they have to come back and teach it. Right, oh, so they have to come okay. back and teach it. And then we have that uh, built into every one of our Friday afternoon meetings as well. Each one teach one. You know, so so everybody gets a turn. Uh, Friday is your turn. Friday next Friday is your turn. You have to come with something that you know you've learned recently that you can teach everybody else in a ten minute uh, slide presentation. That's it. Oh, okay. Wow, that's interesting. That's yeah, it keeps everybody on their toes when it comes to, you know, that you have to constantly advance your education, advance yeah. your learning. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, like knowledge is, is always advancing. So you need to learn, need to know, because back in the 80s, there's no such thing as Apple or Google. Well, probably it's in a, in, a, in a ideation stage, but it's not really out there yet. Uh, then, Apple was 1976, maybe a little earlier, 75 oh. maybe. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, okay. And, right. But okay. but yeah, 80, yeah, 83, right. 84 was the uh, Mac, uh, the Mac Macintosh. Mac. Yeah. I used to. Right. The only reason I know that racing is because I used to sell them on the floor oh. of Computer Land. <laughs> when I was in university, I used to sell computers. I, I love that industry. So mm -hmm. fast paced and so much technology, so many, so much advancement. Right. So yeah, yeah. back in the eighties, there were those kind of things. But for the most part, the big things, you know, the iPhone certainly wasn't around. Yeah. Right. But sure. the Macintosh was, and that was part of the genesis of the family of Apple products that eventually got to things like iTunes, iPods, iPads, those kinds of things. Yep. Okay. Well, my bad. I got I got the timeline a bit wrong over there. But I'm a couple of years older than you. I I, I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Later on, you're gonna share with us how you actually kept yourself look so young, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, is somebody asking that? It's uh, yeah, it's oil of Olay. That's what we use up here. So oh. it's a skin moisturizer. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, oh, I I thought you did some Botox or something. No, no yeah, I'm just well, kidding. No, 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 yeah, I wouldn't look nearly as what is it uh, young here. I'd be a little bit more in a plastique, I think. <laughs> yeah. True. 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 All right. So now we're gonna go into a time machine, all right? And okay. we're gonna go back in time where you're gonna talk to the 18-year-old Korean. Okay. Right? So if you could actually turn back the time and talk to him. What would you tell him? Okay. There's, without revealing what the stock market uh, price is going to be in the year 2020, you know, things like that. You know, what would be a philosophical piece of advice I would give my 18-year-old self, right? And yeah. I, I come up with this on a regular basis when I, when I speak to university grad classes, right? And here's my piece of advice to my 18-year-old self everything is going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay. And what I find a lot of young people, including myself, young people today and myself all those years back is we struggle with, you know, where is that perfect calculated step? 
And where is, you know, uh, and how am I going to have a strategy for doing this and, and, and building wealth and climbing career and corporate ladders, all that kind of thing, right? And my ultimate realization is there is no strategy. A lot of it is luck. <laughs> a lot of it is luck. Now, don't get me wrong. You still need to have, be smart. You still need to have intelligence in the sense of being wise in the process. And being smart and being a, a wise decision maker are not the same thing, <laughs> right? Yep. Not the same yep. thing. Uh, and you, so you gotta, you got to have all these kind of things. But from my, from my perspective, those are table stakes. Those are things that you have to show up with just to play, play at the table. You know, okay. the, what it really is about is about having character traits like resilience and grit and persistence and yep. you know just the ability to adapt uh to what life throws at you because nothing of what i've done and nothing of what anybody uh has uh, has done you know at, at my age it's been, been been around 20 30 40 years whatever it is it's never been a straight line there was no strategy mm -hmm. there may have been a strategy but it never actually ever lined up the way it was supposed to and how could it Life is too complex. Uh, there's too many permutations, combinations yeah. of what can happen. So, you know, it, you have to rely on other things like adaptive, adaptability, persistence, grit, you know, and those are character traits and that's what's going to get you through. So if you have those kind of things, then you say to yourself, everything's going to be okay. You know, and all you have to do is put one, one foot uh in front of the other and just be wise about those decisions because there's no such thing as a perfect decision yeah okay okay yeah true there's there's always never a, a day where you have the perfect decision ever because i am i mean when will it ever be a perfect day or perfect decision for you probably that that's when you're really really lucky right you get right. get one thing and then another thing and then another thing and then another thing you just keep you know getting it one one shot at just one day probably or, or probably a one one fine day two three days down the road you get yeah. it right but then after that it subsides again you get stagnant and then you go down again and then you you, you got upset and all yeah. and, and man that that's really really true you know there's never a time where you're gonna have a perfect but it's always a wise decision that's why yeah. that's why i really believe that you need people like you you need people like like uh, mentors like consultants like coaches to actually guide you yeah find find a mentor you gotta you gotta find the right mentor as well you know uh mm -hmm. i i've had plenty of uh, mentors in my life but i i don't they're all good people but i don't know how effective they were in the sense of, you know, Kieran, everything, okay. you know, they, they would tell me, oh, you're going to be fine. Oh, yeah, you just go out and do it. But the mentors that, you know, that are really effective will give you a game plan as well. And I, I just said there was no such thing as a perfect game plan, but they will give you the major steps and also yep. what to do when that step falters and what to do when that step catches, you know, and, and mm -hmm. so they've been there, done it before. And, you know, like the, my partners in my in my digital marketing agency, they're 20 years younger than me. That makes yeah. me the senior partner because I've got more gray hair 
<laughs> than they do. <laughs> but but you know, I've been through what they're what they're already going through. You know, in a lot of ways, you know, in the corporate sense, in the marketing sense, and such. And even though the technologies have changed, because we're in, into digital marketing now, not the traditional marketing methods, right? There's a lot yep. of things that you know that how to deal with clients, you know, how to, you know, how to, what is it, to manage campaigns and those kinds of things that will always be timeless. And so the big plan is there, but you have to be very flexible and adaptable on the small plan. Here's another thing yeah. I, that you'll recognize, Rayson. Um, so I would suspect you're somewhere around either approaching 30 or <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> I could be wrong, but... Oh. Yeah, you, you, a bit wrong. Uh, I'm actually 31 this year. Okay, 31. Perfect. So I, I said, uh, okay, so just a little, right? Yeah, just a okay. little, which is good, which is good. This shows that I look young as well. That's good. <laughs> we, all, we love that. That's going to be a big yeah. asset to you in the next 30 years. So here's what I'm going to say to you. If you look back on your life, the vast majority of what has been good in your life, what you count as assets, what you have counted as great events happening, have fallen in your lap. The majority of that has fallen in your lap. You didn't plan for it. It wasn't a strategy. You know, there wasn't yeah. a tactical execution, but you were there to receive it at the time. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And so what so that's part of what this entire thing is about in the sense of being adaptable, flexible, uh, persistent, and being ready to receive when that bounty of opportunity comes your way. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 why like what uh, Dalton is actually saying, we are young and dangerous, right? And when we are when we are we are young and dangerous in the sense where we get a lot of this bounty of opportunities just coming our way, uh, not because we look young, but because yeah. we are, but we are actually blessed to to have all this somehow just mysteriously, miraculously dropping onto our laps all these opportunities like how you actually got your opportunity and how i got my opportunities as sure. well yeah and and th that's why it's really really important you know to have those characteristic traits that you actually mentioned earlier like you know being i would say um having that greed you know being being adaptive having that adaptability mindset being able to adapt with whatever that's happening around you and and you are able to go and ace that and overcome that that obstacle that you're having man that that is really something that we need especially in this day and age where you know covid-19 is striking us all very pretty badly and also at the same time all this other uh probably like uh, political stuff that's happening in other countries as well that will affect a, a lot of other people and even the stocks market will be affected and all this other stuff and of course you know this is something that a lot of us will want to actually be telling ourselves and that is everything will be all right after everything. you know yeah. all these things ends. like all these things have happened before like bird flu and all the other viruses and all man all of this has happened and and yet we all overcame it of course there are many people who passed on because of the illness or because of sure. the, the virus and all this other stuff or the war and all this other stuff but then they are we are still those that are surviving and still thriving are still around and they, we are yeah. still continuously producing results results after results and and miracles after miracles and after miracles right so that's why it's really important for us to go and um you know learn how to be adept 
adaptive being, uh, being adaptable right yeah you yeah, got to be adaptable. you know i never understood what the word fearless in this sense meant and you know oh. because uh, fear can be a very healthy emotion uh yep. it'll keep you out of danger but there's two types of fear the very first kind of fear is real fear and that's when the tiger is in front of you threatening to eat you yeah it's probably best to run but yep. the vast majority of us live in projected fear what if what if what if you know and what if that happen? what if that happens it's projected it's not real but it mm -hmm. is it is something that your mind is making up and that's often what prevents you from stepping forward so you have to be fearless mm -hmm. in the sense of only responding to real fear right and yeah these are all things that might happen but you don't have to wallow in the emotions of fear uh you just simply have to account for them in the plan that you have right but take the yep. step forward take the step forward hmm yes i agree i agree and uh, let me ask you right in terms of this so for example imagine a young chap right he is actually wanting to pursue a career like yours so what advice would you give this person so he, he wants to become a marketing consultant yep okay well the first thing you got to do is uh you have to uh turn 55 that's the first <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's and, very long. In a lot of ways, I, I, you know, I, I'm only half joking, but you know, yeah. uh, I was very naive when I was 22 and thinking I could go out and consult the business because I'd taken some business classes. I had a business degree, and here I'm going to be a consultant, right? And the vast majority, and I liken it to this idea of, you know, uh, what is it, uh, flying a uh, jumbo jet. And so you can memorize the technical aspects of the bed. So you read the book from, from cover to cover, the mechanics of the jet, and you understand you've got another couple of books on how to fly the jet and that kind of thing. And now you're saying, hey, I want to get in that pilot seat and fly the jet. No one's going to let you fly a $150, $200 million jet, you know, based on your reading of a yep. few books. And the vast majority of our courses, you know, and I, and I get a, a kick out of a lot of these MBA programs because, you know, mm -hmm. I, th I think the big thing is, you know, you, you come out of the MBA program, you will be a master of business. But you just, <laughs> took a, you know, you took an 18, 20 hour course in finance, 20 hour course in human resources, operations. You took an overview <laughs> of, of that. And the vast mm -hmm. majority of what is written down, down in those textbooks are only the broad strokes. You know, the one thing yeah. it doesn't tell you is when to, you know, if it's like flying a plane or, fly, or, or driving a car, when to hit the gas, when to hit the brakes, how hard to hit the gas, how light mm -hmm. to hit the brakes. And you can only know those kinds of things through experience. And that is the mm -hmm. only, only uh, way that you can do it. You can only do it from the perspective of the experience that you have. And so, and the thing about me, is that I had a very zigzag career and my most profound, I said this earlier, my most profound marketing yeah. experience was in mergers and acquisitions because, you know, I saw mm -hmm. so much stuff in, in those boardrooms and actually walking the plant floors and, and things like that, that I would, I see a whole different perspective of what marketing is about. This is the results of marketing. Now, this is how you create the products that marketing is going to deliver to the uh, to the consumer uh, or the business, you know, and such. And it's a completely different perspective. I wouldn't have had that unless I got out of the marketing business. But now I'm back in the marketing business, you know, consulting on these kind of things. Yep, I agree. Wow. Thanks so much for all this 
knowledge, right? And like what Hisham has actually mentioned, wow, good coverage and knowledge from Kurian. And man, that that is just a just the tip of the iceberg because we are going deeper and deeper right now, right? So now let's shift to the core focus of our interview. And for those of you who are tuning in right now live on Facebook and LinkedIn, welcome to the show. And this is the marketing consultant, author of his amazing book called The uh, Seven Stories. The Seven Essential Stories. Seven Essential Stories, right? That uh, people, that people would want to listen from that the charismatic leaders, leaders tell uh the charismatic leaders <laughs> there we go. Tell. oh my bad I, I got it charismatic got, leaders got it no up. problem <laughs> you're working on all the machinery in your studio so no problem yeah whatsoever. correct okay so for those of you who are tuning in welcome okay i get to see andrew delton hisham and even george sean roshan thank you so much for tuning in um okay so now we're gonna go into the core focus of the interview and that is this you know when i when i emailed you and actually asked you about the the team that we're going to talk look into right it's not actually not not the first few questions that we had it's actually this very important one and that is i'm really curious what's the number one reason companies organizations and movements fail raisin the number one reason companies people products organizations and movements fail is that their stories fail when the stories fail their products will eventually fail the very first okay. thing that and, and so when their stories thrive their businesses thrive their movements move forward their organizations become alive and so the story is the very first thing that anybody buys from you so you have the big idea then you mm -hmm. have some key messages around it and then the overall narrative Okay, and there's uh, yep. seven key narratives they have to tell. But it's the big idea that you're buying within that story. That's the very first thing that people uh, tweak into. And mm -hmm. when they get that, then everything comes alive. Now, if you were in the 1840s, 1850s, 1860s, uh, you would be a big believer in whale oil. Okay. Whale oil, you know, and so whaling was a yeah. major, major industry worldwide at that time. Whale oil was a major uh, commodity at that time, yeah. and you lit all sorts of lamps, right? But that was sort of, you know, uh, put to the wayside with the advent of the electric light bulb. You mm -hmm. know, and you know, and from the electric light bulb, it kept going. You know, we have fluorescence. Now we have LEDs. We have all sorts of things. No one wants to buy whale oil anymore. Why is that? <laughs> Why is that? Uh, back in uh, the 1820s, 1830s, uh, there were electric cars. Did you know that? Eight electric cars. And there were steam no. engine cars. Yeah, steam engine cars. And, you know, by the 1870s, 1880s, uh, the Germans were well ahead of everybody else. So you had people like, you know, uh, Willem Maybach and you had Gottlieb Daimler and Carl Benz. And they were all making their own versions of, you know, the automobile. Now, those cars were all powered by gasoline. So there's this race now between steam-powered cars and uh, electric-powered cars with a lead battery and with uh, gasoline-powered cars. And this kept going, and only the rich could afford uh, these uh, cars at the time, right? But eventually, whatever yeah. happened, by the early 1900s, Henry Ford brought the car 
price way down. I think, you know, by the time the last Model T came off the marketplace, you could buy for $300, $400, something like that. Now, here's what happened. Here's the big thing that happened. Why do we have, uh, why don't we have electric cars today? Well, we do now, right? But we know in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, because the story of gasoline was easier to tell. And because the electrification, like in America, the, to yep. push the power grid out into rural America was not as easy. That's the key message. Was not as easy as pushing gasoline stations. So the gasoline oh. stations, you know, were much more available. And so, and you needed energy to put into the car. It doesn't matter if it's electric or gasoline, but gasoline is more available. That's why the gasoline engine, amongst a whole bunch of other reasons, that's only one reason, right? It's also yep. the amount of uh, potential energy contained in the same density of gas uh, there's a lot of things like that but that's it's the big idea because before there can be service stations someone's got to say that this is the story that's going to take off and that's mm -hmm. what, it, what attracts the investment capital and that's what it uh, gets the factories built and the production facilities the refineries all that kinds of things and that's what allowed the automobile in the gasoline form to take off oh okay this is interesting okay Oh, now, now I know. So yeah, and and we're seeing the reversal of that now, right? You're saying yeah, gas is bad. You know, you have all these greenhouse gases. You know, carbon monoxide pollution and all this kind of stuff. You know, we got to get to something more clean. And now we're going back the other way to electric. But the electric problem still hasn't gone away, because you still need all these charging stations. That's what they're trying yep. to build out now, right? Yeah. Yes. Including the one in your home. But uh, one of the problems with the one in your home is that the average grid for a neighborhood cannot support every house having its own electric vehicle charging at night. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine every, yeah, I can imagine all the whole place is all 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 blacked out because of this, right? Uh, it took exactly right. too much of the the uh, uh, energy, the, the electricity from from them and man, wow, okay. So right. now, now so, I know. So, so organizations, products, companies, movements thrive and fail when their stories thrive and fail. Okay, oh. and when you and when the story uh, stops being relevant, it is an inevitability that the products, mm -hmm. companies, people, movements, organizations will also fail. It's an uh, an inevitability. Okay, interesting. And you know, we were actually discussing about uh, culture earlier on, right? So, mm -hmm. do you mind if you share with us like one of the seven primary pillars of culture and how do they work? to drive an organization forward. Well, this, okay, so I'll quickly rattle off the seven and then we'll pick one of them. You tell me which one you wanna pick, right? The first one is social organization. You know, how how many, is it a flat organization or is it a hierarchical, hierarchical organization? Pillar two is all about language and writing. What is the verbiage we use? What are the inside words? You know, what, how do we recognize uh, shorthand for bigger concepts? Pillar three is religion. And religion in this case is about what are the highest values that the organization worships. It's not about okay. worshiping the boss as a deity. It's about, you know, the values in the organization. Uh, pillar yep. four is all about forms of government. How do we make decisions? Is it one person? Is it uh, democracy? Is it, uh, is it a, you know, uh, a, a small group of people? Uh, pillar five is economic systems. And economic systems are simply about how do we create value? Uh, and then what role do we play? What position do we play in the broader ecosystem? 
Okay. You know, so whatever value we produce, do we give it right to the consumer or do we give it to another company? What companies supply us? You know, and mm -hmm. so we're trying to understand that as a whole. Uh, Pillar six is all about the arts. And the arts is simply about taking whatever core utility that you are uh, producing. So it could be a phone. And the example I use is before the iPhone came about, you had your choice of all these brick looking phones on Nokia. Yes, you know, right. and that was the, that was the uh, state of the art uh, telephone at that time, mobile phone. But when the mm -hmm. iPhone came out, my God, look at this! What a gorgeous phone! It was yep. sleek and aesthetic, and not only in the design of the hardware, but also in the way the software worked. It was beautiful. So you've yes. taken the core utility and raised it to the level of an art. And so you know you can do this in a restaurant as well. You can you can have street food which is the core utility, right? And you go in there strictly for the food or you can sell, you know, you can take that same quality of food and some of the street food is just gorgeous, you know, beautiful stuff and put it in a five-star restaurant. You know, you yeah. put it in a five-star restaurant and but now you have the cloth, cloth uh, linen table uh, coverings, right? And the cloth napkins and all this kind of thing and the, and the uniform uh, waiter. And it's a completely different ambiance now. You've lifted it to the level of the art. Or it might be just in the way it's presented on a plate. Instead of a plastic <laughs> plastic takeout from the street food, you have it on a beautifully presented plate. So can yeah. you lift it to the level of art? And uh, Pillar 7 is all about customs and traditions. And customs and traditions are all about the things that you celebrate in the probably in the previous six uh, pillars. But what do you celebrate? Uh, what is something that you regularly uh, honor in the culture, right? And what did that serves to do is it serves to reinforce and entrench the previous values in these other pillars. Oh, okay. So which one do you want to explore? There's a lot there. Yeah. Well, well, it's really a handful. And I would like to actually explore uh, number one. Number one. Would you... <laughs> Well, that's social organization. If you want to do that, yeah. we can do that. Yeah, religion is often a big one as well. What do you want to do, religion or social organization? Well, since you said since you said religion is a big one, yeah, then we will go with religion then. Okay, so yeah. so market. So let me go back to what marketing is. Okay, marketing is always about uh, the following thing. You know, the right product with the right features to the right market at the right price. You know, right, right, right. So marketing. Yeah. You know, to, in these days, it's all about advertising. But in its early days, you know, 120, 130 years ago, it was all about strategy, building products for, for demand, which is strategy. You know, so here's the demand, here's the product, and now we're gonna, we're gonna build the product for the demand. So yeah. it's about strategic insight with that kind of thing, right? So all great marketing takes its cues from great religion. So, so, and great religion, you know, the reason great religion is the uh, great religion, there have been thousands of religions uh, throughout uh, humankind's uh, history, thousands of religions. Uh, the big ones today are, are things like, are religions like Islam, Christianity, Judaism, maybe Zoroastrianism, that's still around, those kinds of things, right? Oh. But the okay. big ones are uh, Buddhism, for example. I don't know if that's really a religion, it's more of a philosophy. But it has adherence, right? Why these religions are so successful is because it's co their core messages are so communicable. Mm, Can, yeah. You are easily able for one adherent to tell somebody else, you should come into my tent. 
and hear all about Allah, hear all about Jehovah, hear all about, you know, God, Yahweh, you know, when it comes to the to, to Judaism, right? You had all these different uh, people, and all those three are the same people, <laughs> different names yeah. for them, right? But um, they're all Abrahamic religions. But now you tell the stories, and the stories are very familiar. You know, the story of the Garden of Eden. Okay, yeah. uh, you have the Great Flood. You know, that wiped yes. out everybody. You have this, the fall of mankind as a whole, you know, by listening to the snake, you know, and there's all sorts of things. But all of these stories come together in what we call a storyplex or a meanplex, and they all build on each other. Well, yep. why has man, why, why is mankind, uh, humankind, you know, suffering? Well, because of original sin. You know, when you mm -hmm. tell the story about the snake, it all started with Adam and Eve, you know, way back when. And it's, all these stories work together. And because these stories all reinforce each other, they're easy to tell. They're very easily communicable. It allows more people to enter the tent. And if you, you know, the, I read a great stat about uh, Christianity, which is the world's largest religion right now, about 2.1 billion people. Yep. Uh, one of the, and that, the reason why you have 2.1 billion people on a growth rate is that growth rate was only 3% a year. <laughs> so, but 3% a year compounded over 2,020 years, you know, gets mm -hmm. you from this very small group of basically what a lot of people thought were crazy people, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. You know, but you have this initial spawn of Christianity and it becomes this major, major religion over that 2,000 years, mm -hmm. right? So, so okay. it's all about this understanding of, you know, the stories, but the stories all back one basic thing, and that are the values of the organization. What are the highest values? Mm -hmm. And in all these religions, the highest value is love. Yeah. In all these religions, the highest value is love, right? And everything spawns yeah. from that. And the other thing you'll find is that almost every religion has a version of the golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And yeah. even if you go back to ancient Egypt, they have a version of that. It's not a perfect version of that, but it is a version of that, right? And so okay. the reason these stories thrive is because the values are universal. You know, mm. and, and yes. then why the religions really kind of came, to, came forth is because they told those values in a way that no one else can. And I don't want to get into the you know, spiritual sense of it, you know, whose God is better or whatever. And I don't, you know, that's not the purpose of this. It's to understand yep. the mechanism of propagating the message. Mm, yeah, I agree. That, that's why, you know, so many people are so, I would say, in love with this religion or that religion is because of, you know, the foundation that has been in place onto them. And that's why companies should actually learn from this religion, this foundation, how they actually go and wow. This Absolutely people. correct, right? And so uh, what I often yes. tell people, what I tell our clients to do is they should create their own sacred texts. So, you know, the, <laughs> oh, I, and I'm dead serious when I say this, right? Wow. Uh, you know, so okay. Judaism has the Torah, right? Uh, the Islam has the Quran. Uh, yep. You know, uh, the Christians have the Bible. Well, you should create your own sacred text as well. And the sacred text, you know, is the seven stories. It's about things like creation and origin, our identity, values, and beliefs, uh, the big idea that, that we all revolve around, to, uh, you know, how we create value, the enemy we face, what we fight yep. for, what we fight against, right? Uh, the mighty winds, which is all about the things in the in the environment that either enable our story or 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 actually try and suppress our story. These are the macro trends, you know, that yep. are in the environment. Uh, 
if all of that's true, then this is the journey we have to undertake. Mm -hmm. And then the final story is, this is why we will win. Those are the seven stories. And oh. those seven stories, you put them into a sacred text, and that could be as simple as a PowerPoint. Yeah, that okay. could be as simple as a PowerPoint. You know, I don't want you to create your own version of the Bible, but I, you know, it could be as simple as a PowerPoint. This is how we started. This is what happened, you know, that made us start the thing. Uh, this is what we saw as, was really needed in the marketplace. This is the big idea. These are the products that we created around that big idea. This is what the big idea is supposed to fight for or against. You know, and then it keeps going like that. And this is why uh, we're going to win. Uh, this is uh, sorry. These are the big macro trends. And you see so many companies that have, you know, spawned multi, multi, several multi, multi billionaires as a result. And most of them are based in the technology sector. And a lot of them relied on technology that came out of the 40s and 50s called the transistor. Uh, then it came into uh, in the 60s. You know, you have, uh, sorry, 60s, 50s, 60s, the microprocessor. Uh, late 60s. This is the big one. The internet, 1969, yeah. DARPAnet, right? And then it became the internet, 1990s, 89, you have the World Wide Web. And now Mark Zuckerberg is a billionaire many, many, many times over, along with people like, you know, Elon Musk and all these different types of companies and individuals yeah. that started as a result. You know, PayPal was Musk's uh, very first big one. That yes. could not exist without the internet. Netflix could not exist without the internet. And it just keeps going like that. True, true. Wow, wow. This this is a in really interesting conversation that we have. Like, like you know, going we going back to what's time, and then talking about how it applies to us right now. <coughs> and of course, you know, it is really, really amazing to know so much uh, about the seven stories that we should be telling. The essential stories, the big idea, all the way to why we will win and why they will fall in a sense. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and your your customers and your people, right? So the mm -hmm. seven stories can be used to get your people. It's a leadership book, but it's also about market leadership as well. And everybody here want, these stories are primal. The questions embedded in these stories are primal. That's, mm -hmm. you know, and that's why religions are successful is because they answer primal questions. Yeah. They, they, they answer primal, primal questions. And so when you answer the primal questions, you give everybody the trust and the familiarity and the confidence to move forward. Hmm. Okay. Wow. Nice. 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 I, true. This is so true. And you know, speaking of leadership, what does that mean to you? Uh, leadership to me, you know, is a, a lot of different things. Uh, in one sense, it's about providing safety as much as you can provide safety to your people. So on a battlefield, yeah, people might be, get killed, but that doesn't mean you have to take unnecessary risks. So you, you have safety baked into the way you deploy your troops on the battlefield, right? But safety yeah. can be as simple as the boss is not going to bite your head off if you tell them that, you know, you're not going to make your sales numbers <laughs> this yeah. month. So you have psychological mm -hmm. safety. But then the second part of that is all about creating a very vivid and a very vivid and compelling vision for people. So, you know, here's where we are, here's where we're going, and this is how we're going to get there. And so we have that strategy, that plan, the vision, the tool sets, uh, the equipment that we need to do that. And when we have all those kind of things, I am more confident as one of your uh, employees to get into that boat with you. Right, because I think you have a plan. So here's the another big thing I say, Rayson, is that um, people often think that it's the leader that's the leader. 
I yep. say it's the story that's the leader. The leader the is the story is the leader because a great leader with a poor story becomes a poor leader. But a mediocre leader with a great story has the opportunity to become a great leader. And if you take a look at mass movements, they don't have usually don't have one leader. They have multiple leaders and they all have versions of the same common story. And now you the more distributed that organization is, the more resilient it is and the more diverse it is and the more able it is to strike on multiple fronts and defend against a lot of different assaults in the process as well. Because oh. you have multiple leaders all revolving around very similar core stories. Oh, okay. I always thought that, you know, have a movement always will have one core leader and then the rest are the subgroup leaders. So who, who, so who was the who was the uh, the leader of the Indian independence movement or civil rights? Now you can say Mohandas Gandhi for Indian yeah. independence. You can say Martin Luther King Jr. for civil rights in the U.S. Uh, but there were multiple leaders. What happened when Gandhi died? You know what happened uh, when Martin Luther King died? Many leaders who were perhaps not as stellar or luminescent as these other two, right? They rose to carry the organization forward. So you need to build, continually build uh, these people in your organization. But what carries you, what, the common thread between Mohandas Gandhi, right? And Jawaharlal Nehru or anybody else in Indian independence is the common story that they all believed in. So not only Indian, Indian independence, but what the next 50 years would hold for India as well. Not just civil rights, but, you know, what would happen, you know, in all of these areas, not only economic advancement, legal advancement, right, social advancement. Well, who's going to carry all that? One person can't do yeah. that. Yeah, that's the thing. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. Now, now I get it. Now I get it. All right. Okay. So, well, thanks a lot, man. This this is really great. And, Kurian, uh, you know, I actually notice that a lot of people always have this conce concept that they will follow the leaders first but in your opinion i i noticed that you know it's a misconception right yeah so why is it a misconception that people follow leaders first and we just talked about that because what happens is they follow the story so if it's a stupid oh. story i'm not following you I, i'm gonna think you've lost your marbles you know you know <laughs> but yeah, if it's yeah, a yeah. great story and i don't recognize you i'm probably gonna ask myself who is this who is this person you know and so your audience oh. is watching me now so this is your audience so they know you and so in the last hour or so i've been talking people are either going to buy into my message and that's the only thing they've heard clearly so far. They know nothing about me. They don't know whether, you know, uh, I'm a, uh, what's that, a multi-billion dollar fraud artist. <laughs> or, <laughs> or, or am I who I claim to be, a, a marketing strategy yeah. consultant, right? But mm -hmm. if my stories are believable, then they would have the confidence to move forward and say, who is this guy? What's he about? Is there more mm. of that where he, where he got this particular story from? Okay. Oh, nice. Okay, cool. So let me ask you this, right? Um, how can anyone, right, be a successful business storyteller, uh, other than using this uh, seven stories to move people and mountains? Any other ways that you know they can actually become a successful okay, so, business storyteller? So one of the key words in the title of my book is the seven essential stories charismatic leaders tell. 
right? And yes. so charisma is one of those, you know, those things that people possess that make other people come alive when they listen to them. Mm. It's not about me, how great I am. It's about me transferring that energy to my audience, that vision to my audience, you know, the passion to my audience. And so when you do that, you know, first of all, you have to recognize that we're all natural storytellers, whether we want to be or not. And if you're not a natural storyteller, um, you're going to have a very difficult time getting what you want out of life. Yep. Okay. So I kids agree. have to tell the reason to their parents, you know, why they don't have to go to bed <laughs> tonight, right? Mm -hmm. Or why they need that toy. Uh, you have to tell your boss, you know, uh, what the reasons for why you need that raise or why that project should be should be green lighted. And the only way you can do that, you can never do that with with facts alone. You got to infuse facts with meaning. And that meaning has to be told in a story form. So the only way yep. we understand our world is through the stories we tell. The only way you can understand me, I can understand you, is to understand the common narrative that we are orbiting around, right? So human yes. uh, speech came about two million years ago. Mm -hmm. you know, but by, you know, by about uh, 30,000 years ago, something like that, we were drawing paintings uh, in the caves. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and a lot of them had to do with the hunt. And so we're uh, we're de depicting very prominent uh, instances of what uh, was important to us. So the hunt or worshiping worshiping the sun god or the rain god or things like that. Five thousand mm. years ago, uh, writing was invented. So now we're starting to write it down. Okay, and we're yep. starting to write it down. So that was sort of the evolution of that. Well, what is all of this talking about? Talking about stories. Mm. You know, and stories are the most fundamental way we communicate the values of our organization, the directions of our of our people, uh, where we came from, where we're going to, what's important to us. Right? It's how we make yeah. the cultures come alive. So th th that's mm. you know. So so other than the seven story framework, which is a dead simple framework, by the way. You know, absolutely. Yeah. And I'm going to send you some assets after this. And in a, there's an infographic any one of your uh, people can uh, download. And, uh, yeah. you know, so th th that'll be good. And you can start looking yeah. at what this works, right? But uh, mm -hmm. other than the seven stories, you just have to be really passionate about the story that you're telling. If you're telling mm -hmm. a boring story, everybody's going to believe it's just boring, period. Why would I be involved? <laughs> but when you become yeah. passionate about something, now you got people's attention. Now you have paid people's attention, right? And th that's the first step to any kind of persuasion process to move forward, getting their attention. Mm, okay. Well, speaking of attention and persuasion, you know, what is the most powerful story category you can actually tell to persuade anyone to buy into what you believe in? So in the book, what I say is that uh, the most powerful story category is story five, which is all about the mighty wins. And the illustration I use is that all companies and organizations are actually sailboats, sail ships, okay? So they need a big sail. And sailing has been around for millennia. You know, almost every culture in the world has contributed to sailing knowledge because it's such a yep. vital means of transportation. And so, mm -hmm. but every sail ship needs wind to power it. Okay, yep. needs wind. And the problem is most people build the boat, which is your business model, the organization without mm -hmm. ascertaining the direction of the wind, the power, uh, the availability of the wind or what the power of that wind is. And when you do that, you may build the wrong ship for the available wind. Okay. Or you may be counter trend. Uh, so there's a variety of things that happen as, as a result of that. Right. So mm -hmm. when you are on trend with the internet, 
yeah. you are going to be, uh, you're going to create all sorts of fortunes, eBay, Netflix, uh, Facebook, right? And all sorts yeah. of people got rich in the process. And lots of people are on it, you know, on social media on a regular basis, on a, on a daily basis. Now it also mm -hmm. destroys, it creates tidal waves of opportunity and tsunamis of destruction in the process. So the tsunami yeah. of destruction, I'll give you a real simple one about the internet and such, uh, and, and of course the transistor and the microprocessor. No okay. one uses an IBM Selectric typewriter anymore. What happened to mm. the IBM Selectric typewriter? And that used to be a mainstay of every office. Everybody had a, an IBM Selectric typewriter. And you can only okay. find that in a museum now. But you know, but now everybody, they if you're going to write something, you don't send it to a typist. You probably uh, boot up either Microsoft Word or Google Docs, and you start creating a way. And the most common thing is you would do an uh, an email. Before you'd get your secretary to you dictate something to your secretary, and she'd type it up for you, and you would yep. sign it. You know, but now bang, it's out the door. And that all of those kind of things are a result of the macro trend of technology and the subtrends of microprocessor and internet. Ah, okay, okay. Well, well, man, this this is really really great. This is really insightful. Thank you so much for all this great, amazing facts, figures, stories, and information for all of us. Right? We are really really grateful for it, and and. If, as we are actually coming to the end of the podcast, I have one last question for you. Okay. And this question is very simple. If today's your last day on earth, what would you say to the audience that's listening or watching you right now? It's been fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's been fun. You know, it's uh, the big thing I've learned in the last 10 years, you know, and certainly not in the previous 30 but prior to that, right, is that uh, you just have to enjoy each day as it, as it goes by, right? You can't worry about tomorrow. You can't worry about yesterday, you know, but you got to yeah. have, uh, find meaning, purpose, and joy in this moment. And because that's the only thing you have. That's the absolute only thing you have. So if you can say that, you know, that was fun. That was enjoyable. I did some cool things, right? And, uh, you know, yeah, let's try that again. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, I mean, like, uh, other than having that, I, I also believe that the one that you mentioned way back, uh, way earlier on the sh in the podcast itself is everything will be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah, everything's going to be fine. Plus this, wow, that's fun. And, yeah. and man, we're going to enjoy the hell out of a life and the ride will be very interesting. Rather be interesting than ride. It's the old Chinese action, down. right? Old Chinese action. May you live in interesting times. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Wow, nice, nice, nice. Wow, it's really a great honor and pleasure to have you on my podcast. Really appreciate it. So where can my listeners connect with you online then? Sure. If uh, and I'm going to send you a whole bunch of material for your show, uh, racing for the show notes. But uh, yep. if you uh, come to my website, strategypeak.com, strategypeak is in mountainpeak.com. Uh, you can download a couple of chapters of my book uh, from there. Uh, you can mm -hmm. also go to Amazon and uh, download a Kindle copy or order a paperback. The seven essential stories charismatic leaders tell. Okay. Wow. Yes. Uh, really. Really. Looking forward to read your book as well and also to look at the asset that you're going to send to me so that I can actually share it 
with my tribe and yeah. this uh, I would say weekly newsletter that we have for them okay so I'm really really looking forward to that and with that I would like to thank each and every one of you from all around the world for tuning in people like Andrew people like Hisham people like Sean people like Dalton and so many of you that actually has tuned in really really appreciate your support and uh, with that have a great week have a great evening have a great morning uh, i think it's evening in canada so have a great evening in canada and whichever that you're part of this world and have a great week ahead and stay tuned for the next episode of the legacy show see you and take care bye-bye thank you thank you very much welcome Thank you everyone for listening to another episode of the Regacy Show. I hope it has enlightened you. I hope it has brought you to an epiphany where you realize that this is where you want to go and this is what you want to do. So I hope you will continue to support and also at the same time like, comment and share this episodes out to your people. To your family your friends and not forgetting that we have just created a telegram group it's called the legacy show family so you can go and check it out and let us know how you find this group is serving you all right so with that i would like to thank you once again see you and stay tuned for another episode of the legacy show